It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast week. I don't know. They all run together 10 of the football season, I guess. Missouri and Florida this weekend. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here, and we're going to start. We'll talk some basketball later, but we're going to start by previewing this weekend's game with Jackie Franchuli from GatorsTerritory.com, covers Florida for the Rivals.com network. Jackie, how are you doing this morning? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Hanging in. The snow is melting, so, uh, you know, we will not have the northern weather for you when you come to Columbia. Oh, that's good. Us, us Floridians don't understand snow. We don't understand the yeah. concept. I, I was going to say, it's still going to be cold to you, but it's going to be like mid-50s. So, um, <laughs> so, I guess just to start, I mean – Where's this Florida team at? Obviously, they put a lot into the Georgia game. They lost that, but came back and, and humiliated uh, Vanderbilt. So where do you think Florida's at coming into this one? I think, you know, the Vanderbilt game really did help them. Um, you saw at the beginning of that game that were a little bit sluggish to start. And I think it was actually really good for them to have that game rather than a tra- trip to Missouri last weekend. Um, they needed a game to kind of, you know, get their bearings, to shrug off that loss, and there, kind there of may work be, on all those little kinks. There may be some data out there to prove that a trip to Vanderbilt is tougher than a trip to Missouri, but you know. <laughs> yeah, well, did, at least at least Vanderbilt went to the swamp. Okay. At least that, yeah. So that, I think that's what that was the key right there. It was Vanderbilt. They were at the swamp, and honestly, Vanderbilt. I I knew that Vanderbilt wasn't the strongest team in the SEC East. <laughs> But when you watch them live, you really notice that, you know, that they, they just didn't put – they just couldn't compete with some of the things that matched up with Florida on that day. Um, but it was really good for Florida, especially the offense. You know, first half against Vanderbilt, they, they still struggled. You know, they went into the end of the first half only 14 nothing up. Um, so one mistake, one interception, one, you know, just one issue, and they could have been a one-score game. So it was good for them to come back in that third quarter. And every single play in that third quarter, Florida either got a first down or or score. So I think that third down really helped this team kind of move forward offensively, especially because that's something where against the Georgia game, they're really out of sync. They were doing stuff that they didn't do the entire season. They're, they had self-inflicted wounds, miscommunication. It was stuff that we saw them maybe – before the South Carolina game last year, when everything started to come together, it was a very odd game for Florida. Well, what you mentioned, uh, seeing that Vanderbilt couldn't quite compete, that was not the impression I got when uh, Missouri <laughs> played at Vanderbilt, but that might have had more to do with Missouri. Um, you know, on the surface, you know, the 11 a.m. kick, maybe a little bit chilly this weekend, uh, you know, could be kind of a, a sleepier atmosphere. It kind of, you know, has the, the potential ingredients for a letdown type game. But Florida, obviously, they, they've lost to Missouri by a couple of scores the past uh, two years. Do, do you get a sense talking to players and coaches that they're, you know, are going to take some motivation into this game? Oh, for sure. That's actually been something that they've been talking about a lot. They've been really focusing on what they've done wrong against Missouri and what Missouri has done right against them the last two seasons. Um, to be fair, Missouri just had a really great timing for those games. You know, two years ago when it was just the week after McElwain was fired and new head coach. Then last year it was just after the Georgia game. So two, two weeks when Missouri and Florida faced the last two years have been an emotional letdown for Florida. But Florida understands the threats that Missouri possesses, and they've been really focused on them. They were talking about how 
Missouri's defense, although they lost against Georgia, a lot of the players were talking about, you know what, this team plays well defensively and just happens that one of their strengths on defenses is what I will be focusing on. Obviously, Kyle Trask is more of a passing quarterback. So they understand they need to be on their A game. And a lot of them stated on Monday and Tuesday when we were able to talk to them, this is a game that we need to start fast. We can't start, we can't start on our back foot. That's something that we can't do because that's what cost us the last two years. Um, and that's something that, you know, Florida fans are worried about. Um, apart from that noon game against Tennessee, every single noon game Florida has had, they started slow. They started slow against South Carolina. Granted, it was raining, but they still were a little sluggish in the beginning. Against Vanderbilt, it was sunny skies. They started slow. So that's something that this team is worried about because historically they have not had a, a great advantage when it comes to noon kickoff. So that's something they're focused on especially when they see the opponent that when they have started slow against Missouri, they have lost those games. All right, so we will get to the Florida defense against the Missouri offense in a couple minutes, but honestly, our uh, subscribers are tired of hearing us talk about the Missouri offense because it's not a whole lot of fun. So let's start on the other side. You mentioned uh, Kyle Trask, and when, when Felipe Franks went down, a lot of people outside of Gainesville immediately said, I think Florida just got better. Now, that's a, that's a pretty natural reaction. But after watching Florida for about six weeks, I think Florida got better. Is that fair? Um, it's fair just because it just happens that Kyle Trask aligns with what this Florida offense does the best, which is their wide receiver depth. It's one of the best. And they're able to get the ball to those playmakers. With Felipe Franks, I still think he brought a, a different edge because he was able to tuck the ball and run. He was more of a willing runner, which fit Dan Mullen's offense a little bit better. But at the end of the day, Kyle Trask has been running a little bit better. We saw that against Vanderbilt. He's been, you know, sometimes looking at his options and deciding to go for with his legs. We actually saw that against South Carolina, too, when they were down in the fourth quarter, and he got a third and one and a fourth and one. He was able to convert with his legs. So he is getting better at that. But the reason why Florida's offense just moving better is, like I said, You've got a passing quarterback, a more accurate quarterback, who just is able to make their wide receivers play. They're able, they kind of, kind of trust his wide receivers. Like, you know what, I'm going to give the ball to you. I'm going to trust you to make a play, which we've seen that with Jacob Copeland. We've seen with his connection with Kyle Pitts, which has had a great season for Florida, the tight end. Him and Kyle Trask have a great connection. And we found out that even when Kyle Trask wasn't starting, him and Kyle Pitts stayed after practice a lot the last two years, um, even when Felipe Franks was a starter. So those two have a really great connection and a great chemistry on the field. And you often see, maybe it's a little bit to the detriment for Florida's offense, but you often see Kyle Trask when his first or second read are gone, often looking to see where Kyle Pitts is. Um, but yeah, Kyle Trask has done but He's progressed a little bit each game. Um, against Auburn, we really saw the inexperience a little bit. We, we saw him, you know, sometimes hold on to the ball a little bit too much which led to him being sacked a few times, which then he turned over the ball by fumbling, I believe, three times in that game. Against LSU, just a week later, we saw him able to read the pressure a little bit better. We saw him able to take, get the ball out of his hands a lot quicker. And slowly, he's been doing that a little bit better. Um, obviously, he still needs to improve on his inner clock to make sure he's not holding the ball that much against Vandy. There was once or twice where we saw that happen as well. But again, he's a quarterback that didn't start you know, since his freshman year of high school. So this is the first opportunity that he's getting back-to-back game experience. So we're seeing a little bit better. And the only thing that Florida 
really has stuff really has not helped them with is they can't run the ball. So you really know what's going to happen at Florida. Kyle Trask is going to try to pass the ball. When they're third, third and one and fourth and one, it says a lot that Dan Mullen is not confident enough to give the ball to one of his running backs. He's still giving the ball to Kyle Trask to try to throw the ball in those situations. Yeah, Jackie, you kind of led into my next question. I know the offensive line's been a bit of a weakness for Florida this season, and it's especially manifests itself in, in rushing. I think they're in the top, bottom uh, 25, 30 teams nationally in rushing. Is that something you still mm-hmm. expect them to, to try to come out and do and, and you know establish the run uh, on Saturday? Or, or how do, if not, how do they kind of find ways to, to overcome that? So the last few games, you know, Dan Mullen never will abandon the run completely. But it's, it's been used sparingly. Um, I think what he's done, especially when you look at the Vandy tape, you see how he's used his running, his running backs more in the passing game. You see how he's utilized LaMichael P. Ryan, Damian Pierce a lot in that game. And it's something that he's done with LaMichael Pierce for a while. Because LaMichael Pierce, although he's a, he's a good running back, he's actually a really good pass catcher. He's probably one of their best pass catchers in their running back room. Damian Pierce is hit or a miss there, but we saw him getting a little bit better against that game against Vandy. So that's what they'll do a little bit. Um, the problem is, is like you said, the offensive line. Um, last week, Chris Bleich, one of their starting guards, entered a transfer portal due to family reasons. So he's gone. Last week against Vandy, their other starting guard, Brett Heggie, was out for concussion. So that means they had a true freshman, Ethan White, lined up on the offensive line, which means a six-man off the bench is most likely another true freshman. So their line is very inexperienced. You only really got Nick Buchanan at center who started the games last season. And you got Jean Delance, who is not very consistent. Um, He's usually one of the guys that are usually picked on. And when you look at tape, you will see that Kyle Trask gets the most pressure on that side of the line. So the line has been good on pass protection, but it's just not translating uh, into the run game. Now, with the new lineup that they had last week, which had Richard Garage and Ethan White, the true freshman, they actually looked a little bit better. Um, obviously, I'm not going to put too much stock when they went up against Vandy's defensive line. I think Missouri's defensive line obviously is going to give them a little more of a test. But Ethan White did really good on that first, first game out for them as a starter. Um, he held his blocks really well. He picked up stunts pretty well. Um, so it was a good first game. Now, this is the next test if he is to start this week. Brett Heggie is expected to play, but when you're the sixth man on the offensive line, you never know there's always a potential to come in. Now, the thing for a true freshman is playing in a hostile environment. That's something he's not used to yet. Um, obviously, you're going to work for communication. you got to make sure you don't do silly penalties, which is something they did against Georgia. Um, they self-inflicted wounds. Um, so that's been that's been pretty the big points for Florida's run game. The O-line is inexperienced. They're tight end. They, they, they need to work on their blocking. Lucas Kroll and Kyle Pitt are talented tight ends. Obviously, we've seen what Kyle Pitts can do, but they need to hold on to their blocks more. So there's a lot of different facets in that offense, which hasn't led them to be a good running team. A lot of their best blockers graduated. Jordan Scarlett, Siante Lewis, Moral Stevens, all graduated last year. And the guys that came up haven't developed that side of the game yet. That's something that kind of Dan Mullins had to scheme around. And we've seen it, like I said before, when it's third and one, fourth and one, instead of going for a run, they're going for a pass. Unless they bring Emory Jones in, and then suddenly everyone understands, let's load the box, Emory Jones is going to run. All right, so let's flip over to the more depressing side of the ball for Missouri fans. <laughs> uh, look, this this offense hadn't done much against defenses that are far worse than Florida's, but – 
What does Florida do well, and what are Missouri's biggest challenges? Assuming Missouri actually finds some level of competence on offense, what's the, the tough part going against this Florida defense? Gabe, you sound like me two years ago when I was talking about Florida <laughs> offense. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's not been a, it's not been a great three weeks when Missouri's had the ball. They actually have probably had a better chance to score when the other team had the ball. But <laughs> yeah, the total, I completely understand that. This is uh, exactly where I was three years ago. But yeah, as far as uh, Florida's defense, um, they've had a lot of injuries lately. Um, Jabari Zuniga didn't play against Bandy. He sprained his ankle against Kentucky. And hasn't featured in a lot of games, but he should be back for Missouri. Um, Dan Mullen is very confident that he should play. And him and John Grenard, who also missed that game against LSU with an ankle sprain, they're really good on setting the edge. They're going to provide pressure to Kelly Bryant. Their reason, they're the reason why Florida had so much success against Auburn. Um, Bo Nix just didn't know what to do when he faced with Grenard, and, uh, Grenard just facing at him. Um, Grenard is an excellent guy. He brings on the pressure. He's a versatile defender. Um, at some point in the opening game of the season, he led all the whole team with pass breakups. Um, and actually we joked with him that maybe he should be part of the DB unit because he was having such a great couple of weeks for Florida. Um, so he's someone that, you know, we identify as a really big different difference makers for Florida's defense, not just because of his skill level, but it's kind of rare to see this from a grand transfer, but he was the alpha dog on this defense. He came in and immediately stepped up as a leader, and you can tell how different that made this defense, especially the defensive line where they're working with less quality depth than, compared to a lot of their positions. Um, Florida doesn't have depth in the interior. They don't really have that much depth outside. So having a leader like him step in and kind of, be able to become that alpha dog has really helped Todd Grantham. Um, although the last few weeks there has been a, they, they have been able to develop quality depth by Mahmoud Diabate. He came in last week because Jeremiah Moon was out for the rest of the season with a broken foot. So he stepped up and he had three sacks in 19 snaps. Um, he's a true freshman, a very quick defensive end. He still needs to add a little bit of weight to face SEC competition. But he is a very talented defensive end, and they can slot him into star if they need to or slot him into linebacker, kind of move him to the buck position too. So he's a very versatile guy to watch and someone that is going to develop into one of the key players. But right now he's really good as a backup to some of the guys on the D-line. It's now, too bad he's you know, so productive because it would be a pain to type his name that often. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had, to, we've had to learn a lot about his name. There were some interesting pronunciations. Early on, I don't even just, try. Just to... hope he never tackles Albert O in this game. <laughs> yes, I don't. I don't even try to say Albert O's name. Like whenever I ask any of the players um, about them this week, I was like, the tight end that can't can't be named. How, what do you? Say? That's exactly how we approach because we have no idea how to say that last name. Um, but yeah, and as far as DBs, the only thing that has changed for Florida is that Marco Wilson is not playing at outside corner right now. So they have a true freshman, Colin Hillen, playing the opposite side of C.J. Henderson. And then Marco Wilson is now playing nickel or start the star position. That was Trey Dean's position. Trey Dean had struggled a little bit. If you watch the Georgia game, he was picked on a lot. He was the most vulnerable weakness in that defense. They moved Marco Wilson there, and it's slowly been a little bit better. Um, so that's something that – that matchup might be interesting because Marco Wilson's still getting used to that position. Um, but, yeah, so that Florida's defense – had had its struggles here and there, but they have a lot of talent. 
Now, depth is a concern. That is something that we've been kind of harping on this whole year is what happens if this injury happens? What happens if this injury happens? And that's something we're still watching. We're trying to see how healthy is Jabari Zuniga coming back? How, if, how healthy is linebacker Mari Burney, who, who was on crutches last week? No, Dan Mullen hopes he's back this week, but how healthy will it be? Well, that means that James Houston will have to step up for Morventrell Miller. So that's the question about the defense right now. Early on in the season, everyone is healthy. That's why the defense produced at its highest capability. But now the injuries are coming up. They're being banged up. And that's where you see the depth issues that we've been concerned about. I actually want to switch back over to the offensive side of the ball real quick for my last question, Jackie. Uh, you know, Missouri has, has really struggled against running quarterbacks this season. It's been interesting. They've generally stopped the run against running backs, but not so much running quarterbacks. You mentioned Emory Jones briefly earlier is uh, more of a run-first guy who, who plays occasionally uh, behind Kyle Trask. Is there any chance you think that Florida might feature him for a few more snaps in this game, or is Dan Mullen not the type of coach to really you know deviate from, from what he has going with uh, Kyle Trask in the passing game? Actually, he's been trying to add in Henry Jones more into the game as possible. The problem is against South Carolina, they had such a slow start. They were able, they weren't able to fit Emory Jones in. Um, and that's something in Georgia too, because they weren't behind from Georgia, they they couldn't bring Emory Jones in as much as they wanted. To. When we saw against Vandy, that's what they want to do. When we saw against LSU, where they use Emory Jones quite a bit, that's what they want to do. They want to incorporate him a lot more. And because Missouri has struggled against running quarterback, I could see Emory Jones kind of figuring in to the playbook a little bit more. Now, one thing that Dan Mullen in Florida still has struggled is when to time that. Um, there were some times when we saw it against LSU, actually, is that Kyle Trask is moving the ball really well. He brings Emory Jones for one or two plays, and then Kyle Trask comes back, and it seems like it stop the momentum of the offense, and Florida has to settle either – they have to punt the ball, or they even have to go for a field goal. So they, they haven't they haven't had to figure kind of out what to do in the middle of the drive of when to bring in Emory Jones or not. Against Vandy, because they were ahead after the third quarter, Emory Jones kind of took control of the offense for a couple of drives. And we saw that he's been able to he passed the ball quite well. He ran, obviously, he ran for three touchdowns. So I think we're going to see Emory Jones maybe take over a drive here or there just when they need to maybe run the ball a little bit better. Because we didn't notice when Emory Jones is there at their center, they were able to run the ball not just through Emory Jones, but through Damian Pierce. So that's an option that Dan Mullen understands that maybe moving forward, you need to use a two-quarterback system a little bit more efficiently. All right. Well, Jackie, appreciate it. And uh, we will see you on Saturday uh, bright and early. Yes, see you on Saturday. All right. Have a good one, Jackie. Thanks, GatorsTerritory.com covers uh, Florida for the Rivals Network. And, uh, you know, that's obviously a pretty extensive breakdown on both sides and still doesn't change what we think about this game, which is it will be pretty surprising if Missouri can score enough to win. Right, yeah. This seems like, you know, uh, not as tough of an an ask as last week. Obviously, Missouri's coming back home where they've played well, and Florida's offense, you know, isn't quite – you know, it's not – it's not – something that terrifies the Missouri defense I'm sure you know I, I feel like they have to feel like they have they have a pretty good ability to keep this low scoring where you know a play here or there you never know but it's just without seeing anything from the offense Missouri offense to suggest it can sustain a drive and, and move the ball I just don't know how you expect that yeah that's uh let's see we're at 19 minutes and 36 seconds that's the most I can talk about this football game. yeah <laughs> I, I mean I, I I can't do it anymore I, maybe it'll be much better than we think 
But even if Missouri wins, I think we kind of expect it to be a pretty boring game. Um, Speaking of a slower style of play and lower scoring than we would have expected, uh, Missouri on the road at Xavier Tuesday night lost 63-58 in overtime, which Mm -hmm. is – that's a low score for regulation. Very low score for overtime. Um, It was a game that if you had told me the final score of that game beforehand – I would have said, oh, yeah, you take that, and you're going to come out of that pretty happy. And then the way it unfolded, I understand why people were unhappy with it. You know, I mean, it. at the same time, it's it's a pretty solid effort, but you feel like you left one on the table. Yeah, I, I sort of get why people are upset. Um, it would have been a, a big opportunity, obviously. You know, road win against the top 25 team. That's something that really weighs heavily on the resume uh, at the I end mean, of the season. I mean, it happened seven but... years ago. How often can you expect it? <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I just, I, I guess, I, I think you brought it up last week that people love to overreact to one game at the beginning of the basketball season because they haven't over adjusted from, from football. Like, I, some of the things I've seen coming out of it are just surprising, especially because I feel like, I mean, Missouri really didn't play very well. So to be in the position that they were, you know, kind of to have a chance, I mean, leading for a good part of the second half, I, I was pretty impressed. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues for sure. I mean, there's things that need to be fixed. Not even, I'm not even going to include Jeremiah Tillman in that because I think at this point, you know, we kind of know who he is. And if that's how he plays when he gets in foul trouble, that's, I mean, that's pretty good. Like that's, yeah. he, what he didn't, he didn't just, you know, get his third foul and then stop being a factor completely. Um, you know, I was, I was impressed with, with some of the things Drew Smith did. I was really impressed with Xavier Pinson. Um, in the they second need, half. Yeah. In the second half. They need to get more out of their three and four spots. I mean, they got nothing from those spots, but yeah, I mean, like I, 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 I don't think you probably, I mean, you come out of this game feeling very different than you probably would have at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Um, so here's what I'm curious about. Maybe it was just because Tillman was not on the court very early. Maybe it was because just the shots weren't falling and they'll, they'll fall at a higher, they'll certainly fall at a higher clip later in the season. I would hope. Yeah. But, all offseason, we heard about how this team was going to look different and the offense was going to look different, and it kind of looked the same to me. I, yeah. I mean, just just in terms of pace and point total and things like that. And now, look, they can win that way. I'm not saying it's wrong. It just it wasn't really what I expected. It looked a lot like a lot of games I've seen over Conzo's 11-year career at Missouri and other places. Yeah, I, I guess – I didn't. I don't know. I feel like I didn't buy a ton into this team looking super different because I. I just don't think. I mean, like, that's something that gets manufactured during the offseason all the time. The big difference. The different. I don't even say big difference. The main difference I've noticed this year is the 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 freshman fours. They they, you know, they clearly have a little bit of a ways to go in some aspects, but they do stretch the floor more than Kevin Perrier did last season. Yeah. They're a three point shooting threat from the corner, and you know, like they're shooting them. They aren't yet going in. <laughs> right, but like. You, I think you get a sense that they're more willing to be out there. They're more willing to take the shot, and that does spread things out a little bit. And then, you know, they they do, I think, have the ability, not yet the consistency of executing it, but the ability to, to you know, make make plays without the ball or drive and, and you know, post people up. And we'll, we'll, we'll probably see more of that. I mean, it's definitely a challenge to rely on two, fresh, two true freshmen at that spot, but I still think they kind of upgrade things as far as spacing the offense out. Other than that, though, I mean, you said it. You, second half uh, when Missouri had to lead, the offense looked a lot like last year, where you give it to one guy, he dribbles for fifteen to twenty seconds, and then someone sets him a high ball screen, and then they try to make something and, happen. It, briefly, Jeremiah Tillman can't be allowed to set high balls. <laughs> like it has to be. I, I'm yeah. not even joking. 
that can't be in the playbook anymore. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. You've, it's it's caused him too many fouls. There's so many, The thing about him, too, it's so frustrating, especially this year, so many of his fouls come away from playing defense. Like, yeah. you can live with the ones where he's contesting a shot at the rim, but that's like 20% and, of his and fouls. And I want to be clear. I thought his first foul was weak. Yeah. I, I didn't really think it was a foul. I thought his third foul was weak. I but whatever. The point is, after the first one's called, the second one wasn't weak. That mm-hmm. was the right call. And his problem hasn't so much been the first foul. Like, yeah, you're going to get a foul. It happens. The problem is it's almost always immediately followed by a terrible one on the other end. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Although, it, in this it, case— It's like the Cam Scott on the basketball court. That's okay, true. you drop the pass, that's fine. Don't go punch Don't someone. compound it by throwing a punch two snaps. Yeah. I, I I don't think the second one was all on Tillman. I think it was a clear foul, but I do think that part of that was you know, Drew Smith. He kind of rushed into getting around the screen. And, and I agree. I think he just shouldn't be put in that position. Um, but, like, I really do think— that if, if if that's your game, like clearly Missouri needs Tillman to stay on the floor as much as possible, and they would have preferred he be on out there. But if that's what you're going to get from Tillman in a game where he's in foul trouble, where he plays like I don't know t- over 20 minutes, and yes, five of those were in overtime, and he is a factor, you know, on both ends of the floor, and doesn't just check out. Like that is actually progress, right? And I want to be clear, I'm not hitting any alarm buttons here. I mean, it, plain and simple, I come out of that game more encouraged than discouraged yeah, about same. what Missouri will be. Yeah, no, I'm 100% in agreement. That was always, to me, a probable loss. Now, the interesting, the next interesting game, I mean, they play Wofford Monday. That's kind of like Northern Kentucky. On the right day, they could lose, but mm-hmm. they shouldn't lose. Yeah. Um. So, then we go to Kansas City for Butler and either OU or Stanford. Mm-hmm. And if this team is going to get where I think people want it to get, they should win that event. Yeah, I, I mean, because those are teams with names, and I think Butler's a pretty good team. Yeah, Butler just beat someone the other night. Yeah. Stanford, no, you. I, I think they're they're all right. I, I mean, they can, they'll win some games, but if if this team is going to get where Missouri wants fans wanted to get, I think they come out of Kansas City two and zero. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on really any of those other teams, well, but I agree. I mean, you're going to have a favorable environment. Uh, it's not, you know, this this game. It's tough because not only is it, you know, a road game, but it's your third game. It's your first real opponent you're facing. Like, there's a lot of unknowns that you don't know how people are, are going to react. Over a month into the season, you know, you should kind of have a have – about a month into the season, you should kind of have a sense of uh, uh, of your team and, and, you know, strengths and weaknesses and whatnot going into that Thanksgiving tournament. Like I said, should be a pretty pro-Mizzou crowd. And, yeah, I mean, it, none of those teams are, are like – you know, it's not like you're playing the – you know, top 15 team or anything like that. They're teams that should be on somewhat similar to maybe slightly below footing of Missouri, and, and yet yeah, you would expect I, Missouri to win that. I think Xavier's better than all three of those teams. Yes, I agree. You know, so it'll be interesting again. Wofford on Monday night, I I don't know. I mean, we could spend I, – I could actually just cede the rest of the time to you talk about how Evansville beat Kentucky. That's what <laughs> you'd prefer. But. I, I didn't get to watch much of the game because it was going on at the same time as I Missouri. Had the two that was a shame. Fun. Yeah, I, I would – Flip back and forth briefly, but the last few minutes of the Evansville game took eight oh, years. Yeah, I mean, I turned the Evansville game on. There was 41 seconds yeah. left. I think there were four minutes left in the Missouri game, and it ended like within seconds I, I of the think, end of regulation of Missouri. Right, I yeah. think about the time Missouri was setting up the final shot for Mark Smith. Yes, yeah, and, it was brutal, but also amazing because Kentucky <laughs> lost, and we're all purple aces, and that's good. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure that. Uh, uh, why Chris Hollander was very happy about that. Oh, yeah, sure. sure. And Drew Smith, probably. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. if Drew, I, I don't know. Drew Smith might have a lot of hostility towards Evansville for not giving him that waiver. <laughs> well, we'll have Ben Fredrickson on the podcast to talk about that. <laughs> only About only that for a two-hour special. <laughs> and we won't even have to talk. 
we'll just let Ben go. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're we're kind of in the the middle of you know the the really busy season, the crossover season. Uh, briefly, Robin Pinchton's team has lost two home games. Uh, we had her on two weeks ago, and she was not happy about the idea of a rebuilding year. Uh, they need to get this turned around pretty quick because. They go to Green Bay in South Dakota, and they are staring straight at one and four. I was actually talking with Brad Trinago, who is the play-by-play voice of women's basketball. Uh, he works out where we record our podcast. And I, I think the women's schedule is the absolute worst way you can schedule because you've got teams that are actually pretty good teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Northern Iowa, Green Bay, South Dakota, these are actually pretty good teams, but the names, people are going to go look and how do you lose to those teams? You're the right. men's schedule is actually the opposite. Like, they've got, you know, Oklahoma and Stanford and some of these names. Those teams really aren't that good. Yeah. That's what you want. You want you want names that aren't good. Right, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it seems to be a, this is going to be a little bit of a step back, at, at least early on as this team kind of tries to find itself. Uh, I haven't Con- watched the games, Conzo but... Martin could go teach that team some defense. Right, they, yeah. They struggle on that. Yeah, game. and I mean, their only win came in overtime against – Someone not that great. I don't remember who it was. Western Illinois. Western Illinois. That's right. The Leathernecks. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely you know I, I I'm sure that you know as as they get these true freshmen kind of more uh, ingrained in the system and and kind of try to find themselves in the post Sophie Cunningham era, the team will get better. But you do risk kind of playing yourself out of NCAA tournament contention here in the first month. Yeah, and I don't know if anybody's noticed the SEC is uh, it's not terrible. At it's basketball. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, all right, we came in under half hour, talked to talked about all three sports. We got 27 seconds left. Anything you need to say? Oh, man, you're really putting me on the spot. Athens is awesome. You should go watch yeah. a game there if you never have. Oh, I thought you were talking to me. I have. Uh, I mean, I'm talking to the, the listeners. Yes. Yeah. Okay, go to Athens in two years. Hey, go to Farrell Field this weekend. Uh, I think there will be seats available. Missouri and Florida, 11 a.m. on Saturday. Basketball Monday night. We'll have it all. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next Thursday.